0: This is CliffCentral.com.
1: Welcome to the Leadership Platform, Multiplying Leaders, Moving Society. As always, I'm Adrian Grunewald. Very excited to be with you and uh, happy to have the old man, Louis Grunewald back. Uh, old man, good to have you back on the panel.
2: It is good to be in a pretty famous building as well today. Oh, yes. With our oh, guests. Yes. Oh, yes. Oh,
1: yes. <laughs> well, for all things leadership, go to leadershipplatform.com. One word, two Ps in the middle. It's our Leadership Masterclass, as always. Today is, again, part of our BLSA, Business Leadership SA, Authentic Leadership Conversations Series with uh, CEOs of the BLSA. And, of course, this will populate the Leadership Platform app with the best content possible out there. And it, it gets South Africa talking about leadership. So we're very excited about this journey. Our first leader we interviewed was Adrian Gore. Today we have... Andele Pool. That's correct. And as I go through the show, I'll get better at that. Yeah. Absolutely. Andele, it's so good to have you, Executive Head anglo America's SA and Board Member of BLSA. Yeah. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here in your backyard in yeah. the middle of Johannesburg City. Um, thank you for joining us on the platform. Yeah, Adrian, it's an absolute pleasure
3: and an honor for you to come to our building and our offices. And sadly, I look forward to, to the interview. Absolutely.
1: We're also very excited. First... A short recording of BLSA CEO Bonang Mohale sharing the vision
0: of BLSA. My name is Bonang Mohale. I'm the Chief Executive Officer of Business Leadership South Africa. Our reason for existence, and indeed the architecture, is to look at prosperity for all by partnering with all the social partners to ensure that we attain this notion of inclusive economic growth in our lifetime. We have just launched a new BLSA strategy that rests on three legs. The first leg is indeed straight out of the NDP 2030 inclusive economic growth and transformation. The second leg is the protection of our key institutions. In general, the chapter nine institutions, but in particular, the Office of the Public Protector because this is the one that is the most under siege. The last is how then do we position business as a national asset. So we hear from that strategy that the new BLSA is really making as its core mandate and focus the business, the environment but also ensuring that we regain our voice. So the first pillar, had we transformed, we generally believe that, would have earned the right, the license to operate, to then enlist support from the rest of the social partners, so that together we can defeat state capture, which is much more serious, much more systemic and systematic chronological methodical with an approach than just ordinary Corruption. That's why um, transformation and indeed uh, inclusive economic growth is absolutely number one. The second pillar talks about positioning ourselves um, to really uh, protect the key institutions. Because what stands between us and our anarchy is really our constitution, world class constitution, a gift that has been bestowed upon us by forebears. Uh, this united. Non-racial inclusive constitutional democracy, and then lastly, how does business benefit not just the shareholders, um, but also our own employees so that we can pay them decent wages to be able to afford the products and services that we make and provide? And then lastly, of course, is how, as part of that, we can bring about this notion of um, shared value, shared value by investing in the communities where we have a presence, shared value, so that our employees are just the beneficiaries uh, of this democracy dividend. Thank you very much.
1: Andile, um, just your comments quickly on how BLSA has been doing of late. As I said in the Adrian Gore interview, seem seemed to have come out of obscurity a little bit more. Yeah. So yeah. as a board member... What do you think is the difference or the impact of BLSA at the moment? I think BLSA has um, have been
3: able to reclaim a space that some of us have always been yearning for it to claim that of being in the forefront of a lot of key conversations that shape the country and uh, advance the necessary dialogue and conversation that the country needed. And, um, and this, of course, talked to a number of issues. One is about the economy of South Africa, hmm. that it is important for a, an organization like BLSA to be able to demonstrate its leadership role in terms of uh, reactivating and injecting new momentum in growing the economy of South Africa. So it's been very pleasing to see how BLSA has uh, stepped into that role, you know, in the last year and a half. So that's the first thing. The second one is about um, dealing with uh, issues that promote democracy and support for democratic institutions. And we have seen how... BLSA has come out strongly against things that actually work against you know, those, um, this, the, the efficacy of those institutions. And, uh, for example, how we were behind the fight against state corruption and, uh, and many other forms of corruption, whether it's within the state or even among the uh, members of business, So there's been very consistent messages that uh, BLSA has taken and a very strong stance against that. At the same time, when there was progress or positive response that has been made, you know, we didn't remain as this uh, critical organization that is there Mm -hmm. only to focus on the negative. You know, we've been strongly supportive. Um, of the positive things and the responses that we have received, there's been credit where credit's due. Absolutely, Erin. And then the last point is that business has done a lot, you know. And I think it's been very important through BLSA to be able to demonstrate the role of business, you know, in society as a national asset. And uh, we can talk volumes about the strides that it has taken in the areas of transformation and many other areas. That does not suggest that we have reached the end of the road, but it's very, very important just to pause and acknowledge what has already been done. So I've been very pleased and honoured to be part of that journey that really start lifting our gaze beyond the current crisis and start thinking about the the kind of future that we want for South Africa, and how we see ourselves as business as part of shaping and molding
1: the kind of future that we desire. It seems like a good time to be on the board of BLSA. Absolutely, absolutely. There's without, energy, there's belong. With, uh,
3: with, <laughs> without a doubt, without a doubt. And, it's, um, and also it comes at a time when um, this is exactly what the country needed. Mm. You know, The timing could not have been this perfect. And uh, we're actually quite pleased um, to 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 be part of that, and it's also part of building a legacy of that whoever comes after us you know will be able to say their are, are forebears, started this journey and took it to a certain point absolutely
1: And I look forward to chatting to you about a couple of exciting things the reimagining mining um you know the 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 big picture role that, that uh, Anglo-American plays and can mm-hmm. play. But mm-hmm. before we get there, this is the leadership platform. Yeah. So we talk about leadership first. Mm. The kind of leadership we drive is authentic leadership yeah. or, you know, as opposed to toxic leadership, which mm-hmm. we've seen a lot of in the past. Mm. So first we're going to have a bit of a master lesson or conversation mm-hmm. around your feelings on what describes authentic leadership best we yeah. have got kind of six categories you're going to discuss yeah. with us. We're going to take yeah. them one by one. Yeah. And we've got the old man here. Yeah. Let's chew on some of these a bit, and uh, okay. we share that with the world following the <laughs> show. Um, yeah, so take us on this journey. What's the first principle or statement yeah. um, that you best describe authentic leadership? Um, for me, authentic leadership
3: starts with a, a vision. A leader is someone who must have a vision. And that vision uh, must be a, a personal vision. You must have a vision of what it is that, first of all, is a leader you want to become. Okay. And two, um, this vision needs to be written down so that those that uh, want to see it or want to support it I can see that it is a well-articulated vision. It is clear. It is also possible that the vision may be started by one leader, but it can transcend generations. It does not have to be fulfilled in one lifetime, but it must be able to generate sufficient energy, momentum, you know, and strength for others to be able to follow that. So okay. for, for me, um, the, the, the issue of the vision is so important that the leader must be able to defend it so that even if the vision is delayed, the leader must have the conviction that it can never be denied. Uh, sometimes the pursuit of the vision, you know, you do suffer a lot of setbacks but uh, you need to pursue it. There is no better um, analogy that I can use to capture my interpretation of a vision than to use um, an example of a construction site. Okay. In a construction site, if you start picturing it, there, are, there is a lot of earth-moving equipment There's a lot of dust. There are so many activities that are taking place in this construction site. But somewhere in this construction site, there's a board with a picture of a finished building. Yeah. You know, that says that when everything is done, this is how the building, you know, should look like. So for me... Um that's what we need, you know, as people, um, as a society, as business, and as a country.
1: Okay, so, so I hear you say, tell me if I'm correct, that even for myself I should have a vision, then yeah. for the organization that I lead I should have a vision. Absolutely. And interesting, that picture, I haven't noticed, but are some pictures on such a site, uh, I'm thinking constructing a new mine, Yeah. you said construction site, but same yeah. thing. yeah. Um, are some pictures more um, colored in and some are kind of bland? So, yeah. so I guess that picture could could take on different forms as well. Eh? Some leaders are very good at coloring in this, this beautiful oasis, this fantastic yeah. building. Yeah. Others have a vague sort of just a sketch of the building yeah. uh, and others have no, no building on there. It's just the construction site going crazy. But vision comes up all the time as we just, just talk about what is authentic leadership. You know, the the, the colouring is important, Adrian, because
3: it it also embraces the principle of co-creation. You know, because if you think about the work that uh, is behind the putting together of that finished building, there's a lot of consultation, there's a lot of work between architects, the client, and all of that, some discussions and some disagreement. But at the end of the day, you come to a landing as to what it is that we desire. You know, and um, I can say to you that if you look at uh, countries like China, you know, they have a long-term vision, you know, of what it is that they want for Mm -hmm. the people of China. Um, In the case of the United States of America, they have what they call the American dream, you know, which is, again, another way of saying that this is the destiny, this is the, the ultimate place where we want to become, it is so vital that um, the whole
1: conversation about authentic leadership has to start with the vision. Old man we can go on about vision for a half hour, I guess. It's such an exciting topic always. you want to give a final comment before we move to the second yeah. statement that describes yeah. authentic leadership?
2: Andila, the, the, the topic is authentic leadership. Yeah. Our experience now, you know with hundreds of conversations and articles etc is really that uh, emphasizing your point that uh, the vision must be personal mm. so the day is past that you can wear a mask as a leader yeah. so somehow uh, the integrity just comes through eventually so mm. it must be authentic and it must be personal yeah or else it doesn't have impact not in our society anymore yeah
3: yeah no i agree with that um I'm actually going to talk about that, you know, in my, in my second issue, because you are absolutely right that the vision cannot be isolated, you know, to, it has to hang on something, you know, and, and I'm going to deal with the whole
1: subject of values. Okay, t- take us into the next you point. Know, that um,
3: because um, that leads me to the second point, which is that, you know, a leader needs to have a strong spiritual foundation. You know, um, that does not necessarily mean that you've got to be a Christian. You know, you could be a Muslim or you could be any other form of uh, religion. It does not matter. But what matters is that you need to be guided by a higher power. You know, you need to subject yourself to higher levels of authority than what you have. Yeah. Something that can motivate you, something that helps you to know where are your own limits, you know, something that helps you to define your own boundaries. Something that helps you to know where you start and where you end and when you can't lean on your own understanding. You know, you need something else bigger than yourself. But also it helps you to understand the fact that the world is bigger than you, that you are not the world.
1: You're accountable to something.
3: You are accountable to something. So I I like to believe that this is something that should be your compass, should be your guide. You know that there are moments when um, one day you can be on top of things and the other day you can be really right at the bottom. But there's something that can pull you up that would help you to bounce back against adversity. And I think it's just that wisdom as a leader to understand the fact that, you know, you need something bigger than yourself to hang on to. So for me, it's, it's just something that as a leader, you need to, to acknowledge, accept and live by. Mm. And, it, and, and it's different from different people. So this is a, um, a much more
1: wider and yet an important conversation uh, around leadership. I, I struggle to understand how a leader with a lot of power mm. can remain humble mm. and keep themselves in check mm. at night when they look in the mirror and they're mm. alone. Mm. And there's not a lot of people above them that hold them accountable formally. Mm. If they don't have that sort of
0: foundation,
1: yeah. that belief, that that spiritual yeah um root or roots yeah. Yeah. so so i uh, i think that can really help keep you authentic yeah okay Alderman, comment on that quickly
2: yeah uh, and you uh, we really appreciate that point our yeah. experience has been yeah. that almost every and i mean almost every authentic leader we come across yeah. has a very deep-rooted spiritual feeling yeah they may interpret different ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's another word for humility. Now, people, when people say they're humble, they're probably not. Yeah. But what you're really saying is defining a certain kind of humility. Yes. Realizing it's always a source to your yeah. strength. There's something bigger source. I think it's a magnificent important point. Nowadays, it's being recognized far more. Yeah. People are, all the experts are saying, uh, academics as well mm. that you need to f- find your inner self. Yeah. And Quite frankly, that should be rooted in a far bigger spiritual reality, mm. or else I'm not sure where you you can how you can cope what happens out there. So you you pictured it very very effectively. Thank you.
3: Look, I, I agree with that. I mean, um, for for me, I mean, just to picking up on the point that uh, Adrian was raising about power. You know, the the, the fact of the matter is that. You can have it today Adrian, you can lose it tomorrow, you know, um, because organizations go up and down, you know. But one thing that can center you, that can help you to bounce back, that can help you to find yourself, you know, it's just this deep connection, you know, that is, uh, is based at a, at a spiritual level. And fact that it forms the basis of other people connecting with you. You know, um, it's, it's really those things that people feel that they, they give you the permission to lead them. Yeah. You know, because leadership is not only about entrusting yourself. You know, it's about those people that you lead have the confidence and the comfort that this is the best person that can lead us because they connect. They can see something in you. That makes them very comfortable about who you are.
1: Before we move on to the next point, if you have that, then when you are stripped of your title or position, Hmm. I think you walk away still with some power and influence intact. If you don't have that anchor and you walk away from your title and position, then you really become nothing. Absolutely. And then what's the next point that describes leadership?
3: The other one is um, it's about standing for what you believe. You know, you know, This is um, something that you need to accept as a leader, that you're going to experience headwinds. You know, you're going to experience opposition, and um, and not everything that you push ahead would be popular. Mm. You know, Um, but you need to be very steadfast in your convictions and your resolution, you know, without necessarily becoming dictatorial about it. But um, you must understand that as a leader, sometimes you have to stand alone, you know, and other people would follow. But uh, you need to follow the dictates of your own convictions. And if you believe that this is right, you've consulted. And even if everybody does not like it, and uh, you need to accept that there is a cost to leadership. And one of those costs is just uh, it's a lonely journey that you've got to take you know, and other people would follow. And um, there's no uh, better example that I can think of, you know, than that of a Christian faith, you know, when Jesus Christ actually had to make some of those journeys alone, you know, before the rest of humanity followed, you know. That to me is leadership. So when you step into the position of leadership, Uh, that's one of the things that you've got to accept that it comes with the territory that um, there are some truths that you believe that you've got to defend and you've got to live by and even if later on people say ah you were right you know but in the beginning when you studied, you were alone, but you—you you, there were some. That's why it's also linked to this vision. That's why it's also linked to this thing about the spiritual connection, because that's what keeps you. That's what sustains you, even during those times. Mm. You know, people will say, "Yeah, we didn't believe you, but now that you see where you've taken us, ah, we think we're right." There are other things that you can also miss it you know let's 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 also look at at both sides, you know, but then when you've missed it, you must have the humility to say, "You know what I was wrong you know um and it's a lot harder for a lot of people to do that, mm. but that's the price of leadership you know if uh, all that I'm saying is that you leadership comes at a cost you know and and you also need to accept the fact that the the kind of um uh, expectation that Uh, People that you lead in society in general expect of you as a leader is higher than every other person, you know. So these are some of the things that you need to accept. Yeah. that they come with, uh, with being a leader.
1: It's not easy because you are as human as everyone who follows you. Yeah. But there's high expectations exactly. of you. Exactly. And that load is not just romantic. It's, yeah. a, it's a difficult load. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, let's take in that third point. Um, stand by your convictions, yeah. by your beliefs.
3: And maybe a final point is that I don't think that this thing about leadership is, um, is, is indivisible. In other words, you can't be a leader at the workplace – and think that when you're at home or when you're in church, you know, you can't lead. You know, this is it. You know, if you're a leader, mm-hmm. you're a leader everywhere. And you need to step up to that role. You know, you can't then masses have no, no, I'm refusing to live. It's just, it's more like a calling, if you like. Once you've accepted it, you've got to accept it. That's, that's just the way it is.
1: I wish most leaders would understand that principle. So often the, the leadership is linked to the one title. No, it's not. And everywhere point. else they just sit in the back seat. No, no. But it's not that simple, not that easy. Yeah. Andele, thank you. What's the fourth point that describes authentic leadership? Um, so this
3: one, I mean, it's a broad subject of values, you know, which I would said earlier that I want to come back to. You. And, um, and I'm not going to discuss all of them in detail, but I just want to surface them. Okay. You know, um, the first one I want to talk to is honesty. You know, um, you have to be honest as a leader. Okay. Um, and as they say, honesty is the best policy. Um, I'm not going to discuss it, but I really believe that, you know, when we got into the subject of values, uh, honesty comes first. The second one is hard work. You know, um, you can't expect people to do things if you are not prepared to do them yourself. You know, so you again, it's about leading by example. It's about leading from the front. You know, you've got to dedicate yourself. If the team is there doing the work, you've got to be amongst them. You know, you've got to be able to to show them the way. So you also have to, to put in the hours. The other one is uh, is discipline. Discipline is about yourself. You have to have self-discipline, but also you need to uh, lead in a manner that allows people to know that there are things that you're prepared to tolerate and there are things that you're not prepared to tolerate. So as a leader, you need to be able to make sure that everybody feels that They are uh, the environment, you know, encourages discipline, and they are motivated on their own. The other one is um, is around hearing the voice of everybody.
1: Hmm.
3: You know, as a leader, you need there can't be people that whose voice matter more than others. You know, it's always amazing that those small voices those minority voices that at best of times are the descending voices are always the ones that are actually right. You know, so as a leader, you need to be able to step back and say, look, can we give everybody a chance to say something? You know, not because you speak a lot and other people speak very little, that we tend to have bias to those that say, you listen to everybody, you listen carefully, you listen actively. You know, and if there are things that uh, if there are people whose issues feel that they have not been properly ventilated, you know you need to follow up on those you know so leadership is about this inclusivity it's about listening to to everybody. The other thing about leadership is um transparency. You have to be as transparent as a leader, you know there can't be issues that you feel that other people must know other people should know you know people must feel that you know it's it 's part of being authentic you know you've you've got to be transparent you know you need to feel that you need, you need to share things with people. People need to know what's happening and what's not happening. And if they ask you, say, so "Listen, can you come and can explain what this means?" You know, you you can't raise yourself to a position where you say, "I don't think it's 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 your business to to know that." You know, so you need to be that kind of leader that is transparent. And transparency goes hand in hand with accountability. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got to be an accountable leader. You know. Um, So you need to be able to say um, at every structure, it could be uh, your weekly office meetings, it could be your ex-cores, you know, it could be at home, it could be in the boards, but you've got to be the kind of leader that feels comfortable with being accountable. You know, and that to me is what inspires confidence and it's what really motivates people to say, look, you know, there's nothing that he's hiding behind. You know, everything has been put on the table. Then the, in this category, the last one I want to cover is respect. Mm. Um, respect starts with respecting yourself,
1: mm.
3: you know, there are many ways in which you can show that you respect yourself. One of them is um, being punctual. you know that's part of respecting yourself, you know and um, so you can't do things or expect from people to do things that you can't do them yourself. you know so you need to be respect yourself. Uh, in, in such a way that, if this is something that wouldn't work for you, you also need to know that it wouldn't work for others. Mm. So, part of um, respecting, uh, showing respect, is that with respecting yourself, but respecting others. Part of respecting, there is nothing more important to show respect to other people than listening to them. You know, when I listen to you, even if you have a different view. Yeah, You know, but I give you a chance to say it. You know, that's respect. You know, when you're in pain, when you're suffering, you know, when you've lost a loved one or you've lost something that is important to you, you know, to, to be there with you, to commiserate with you, you know, it shows that I respect you. You know, it shows that uh, your dignity is important to me, yeah. you know, and there's reciprocity. You know, when you do that, you know uh, people then feel that look, this is the leader that we feel comfortable. So these are some of the things okay. upon which the whole
1: principle of authentic leadership is predicated. Yeah, I mean, so, so strong value system, strong values that you subscribe to as an authentic leader, as a leader, yeah. and that's what holds you authentic. It link, links very strongly to the spiritual undertone yes. you spoke of. Yes, uh, but Andile. I mean, powerful values that you mentioned. It almost sounds like a leadership success recipe, a life success recipe. Mm-hmm. Uh, honesty, hard work, discipline, listening to all voices, mm-hmm. linking in with a respect, one is strongly being transparent, mm-hmm. accountable. Mm-hmm. So powerful values, which all of them deserve a conversation on their and own. Their own. As you Absolutely. Say. Absolutely. So Thank you for that. Louis, uh, one you want to b- highlight before we move on to the next point.
2: I think in terms of the values you mentioned, um, it strikes me that, that in a sense, if you understand what authenticity means, mm. the deep rooted values based um, um, mindset, then these values follow automatically. Mm. Otherwise, you hardly think of being honest, yeah. you just do it because yeah. it goes down to who you mm. are. Mm. It's what we call the inner, the inner me, the inner, yeah. that inner person, which is a noble yeah. place yeah. to be.
1: But, Andhele, mm. o- authentic leadership is not about having these values, yeah. surely. It's about actually. Congruent and and always aligning with them, which is not easy. And always I have this conversation with leaders: uh, what looks accountable to you and the people who have the same view from where you sit can look very different from the poor guy out there in a poor community looking up towards the leader way you know high up in the building. Um, So so we you know the lenses we have on. Yeah can, can Im- impact our perception of what each of these values mean, in fact.
3: No, no, but both. I mean, both the point that Louis is making. I mean, let me just start there and say that, um, you know, when you practice these values uh, consistently, business success comes. It's just amazing that if you do all of these things, well, uh, personal, uh, success. personal success comes, you know. So there's this... There's no question about it that you've got to do them, you've got to practice them, and, uh, but then the rest of success comes. But to your point, Adrian, they are not easy, you know, and, um, and it does not mean that because you believe in them, you're not going to be challenged or there are no gray areas, you know. Sometimes you will sit in the boardroom. There are those decisions, you know, that bring into question You know, uh, these kind of values, you know, even among your fellow board members, even amongst your colleagues, you know. But then, as a leader, you, you need to be able to remind everybody and say, what is it that matters? What it is that, what is the glue, you know, that pulls us together? You know, so a leader is someone that needs to go back and remind all of us that this is what would create an enduring organization with enduring success, our steadfast commitment and conviction to these kind of values but i 've no doubt to say that it 's going to be easy, but for me it 's the only way that to be able to
1: to lead successfully yeah and sometimes these values seem to be in conflict with each other they do in certain v- oh, very yeah. unique situations. Um, but that's a that's a wonderful sermon on, on values. Thank you for that. Um, yeah. other principles that you describe authentically. Yeah, yeah. Look, the the, the other one is um.
3: It's my favorite of them all. I mean, and um, it's something that I I spoke about at the AGM at the Nepad Business uh, Foundation, and and that's about compassionate uh, leadership.
1: Um, I like that principle when I read it. Oh, <laughs> there's something deep and powerful in it.
3: Yeah, uh, that, that to me is um, by far one of those um, principles that I think going forward in society and in the world, um, we need to pay more attention to. Um, that as leaders, we need to show compassion. You know, we need to put ourselves in the position of the people that we lead. You know, that when we make decisions, you know, we should not be motivated by the short term. You know, we should take into account, you know, the long-term picture uh, in mind. And that the quality of the decisions that we make must also be informed by the reality and the context in which we live and which our own people, uh, whether it's employees or communities, live. So for me, that is important. And I want just to um, anchor this on, on two examples that, from our point of view as Anglo-American, uh, we've tried to live out you know, this, uh, these, this principle of compassionate leadership. Around the year 2000, um, we experienced a big problem around HIV and AIDS, you know, and um, it was ravaging the country, and it was beginning to have a negative effect on our employees. And we looked at this, and, and you must remember, Adrian, that we took this decision to invest and address this problem before government did. You, you know? were the first organization yeah, I think. Yeah um, and and we did it because we believed in it. We, we it's one of those things that you do them because it's the right thing to do. You know, and that to me is um what I think it's it's, it's compassionate leadership. Even though in later years, you know, it had benefits to us as an organization in the sense that we had a healthy workforce a committed workforce that was able to see that this is a caring organization, but uh, we rolled out HRVs, you know, we tested people, we counseled them, and we're able as well to roll out the treatment to their families, you know, And, and we believe that it's, when you start looking at compassionate leadership, not as a CSI kind of initiative, but something that is strategic to your business, that if you treat people with compassion and if you do certain things because you believe that they are right, it takes a different mindset uh, in the leadership of the organization, but it's the only way that you would be able to build trust and ensure that there is harmony within an organization and people have this sense of that you care deeply about them. So that's the first one. The last one is about um, post-Maricana. That tragedy, uh, amongst other issues that it surfaced, was a pervasive problem of uh, employee indebtedness. You know that uh, employees were taking a few rents home, precisely because they um, they were being exploited by loan sharks, and uh, there was so much unscrupulous lending that was taking place. We took it upon ourselves to counsel them, to help them to consolidate their debts, and uh, to support them with personal financial training and skills development but we also helped them to deal with irregular garnishing orders you know and we actually took this matter to court you know and we won you know on these matters so the point here is that it can be done and it should be done that you can show compassion as a leader and while driving business success and we would like to see more of those examples and i believe very strongly that even when we make decisions as business and as leaders you know this whole issue of compassion has to be a value ethic
1: that we all believe in and subscribe to and this principle of compassion takes you to compassion towards myself compassion towards my uh, um, communities yeah uh, you know especially when you look at mining yeah, and and you may have another leadership principle there, but mm. but it, it also leads us into your your whole sustainability strategy, which yeah. is so broad and so so uh, comprehensive. Yeah, as, <clears throat> as an organisation, mm. it takes you to. In a couple of uh, brilliant principles reimagining mining how do we ima- your future smart mining Yeah, i mean you've got a lot of interesting buzzwords yes yes but, but they all make sense and you can see yeah. they've been well thought through as a, yeah. as, a as an established yeah. organization and leader in, in your industry mm. um am i making the right connection there yeah you are i mean let me
3: start with the uh, future smart uh and before i deal with uh, with the sustainability um future smart talks to the future of mining um, there is um, there's an intersection between the inevitable introduction of technology you know into mining mm. and uh, which would improve safety um, which would improve productivity which would also improve and deal with some of the constraints to our environment, like water, you know, like uh, dusts uh, control, and many others. You know that society and our communities have been um, uh, complaining about. So we've took it upon ourselves to invest in uh, research and development and innovation to try and deal with these matters. In a manner that would help us uh, as an organization to respond positively and create a, a different organization that will be far more resilient, you know, to these kinds of pressures. I'm talking about an intersection because, uh, on the other hand, you have social challenges, you know, challenges of unemployment. You know challenges of the fact that, as you introduce technology, you know you stand a chance or a risk of losing some of our employees you know so how can we then create um an alternative economy you know um, linked to mining you know through a an ecosystem you know that can create new industries you know that for example. If we um, want to introduce a waterless mine, you know, what other industries can we develop, you know, to support that?
1: Around that. Know, yeah.
3: Around that. So, so I, I think it's, it becomes exciting in that way. The other one is, um, is, is the workforce of the future, the new millennials. You know, they've got a completely different view of work. You know, um, they embrace technology, but they also are thinking differently. Whether do they want to be employed or do they want to be part of a mining value chain? And if you don't have
1: this attitude as a business, you'll lose the
3: millennials. You will lose the millennium. So, so the future smart talk to that spectrum to say how then do we engage in a conversation with government with communities with uh, with uh, with uh, with trade unions to accept the inevitability of this introduction but to make it something that is positive for us so 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 that that to us is is what is exciting uh, about future smart and um, the our social uh, our, our our social And enterprise development strategy as well is linked to that. Um, At the heart of that strategy is a realization and a recognition from our side that if we uh, invest in a mining uh, town or um, a mining environment, we are likely to be there for the next 20 to 30 years. And we have done at a technical level, a lot of research and a lot of investment to say, what is the life of mine uh, that we, would, we were going to be mining there over? And uh, what is the nature of the geology? And uh, what is the nature of the production that we are going to be harvesting over that period? Mm. But linked to that, we don't have a long-term um, socio economic development strategy to say if we are going to be, say, for example, one of our operations, we're going to be in Venetia until 2043 or 2044. We can tell you with some fair amount of granularity and confidence uh, the ounces that we are going to be producing in 2030, 2033, etc., etc. So, the whole idea of our SD strategy is to mirror that. To say the so. yeah, to say on the side of the communities, how is that picture going to look like? What kind of uh, a community setting are we going to
1: have? It's all linked to this vision, you know, that I was talking to you about. Can I just earlier. try and make it sense in my mind? So, so so we're going to be here for twenty, thirty years. Yeah. Then we're going to put the mind on care and maintenance, yeah. we're gonna move out. Yeah. How can we strengthen the communities around the mine, but yeah. in such a way that they can be self-sufficient when we leave?
3: Absolutely. The, the, both points, Adrian. It's, it's both points to say, um, what is it that we can do now you know, to make sure that we improve the quality of life and enhance the benefits that communities can extract out of money during the life of mine? But at the same time, start thinking about the inevitability that at some point, whatever it is that we are mining would come to an end. You know, so what, how can we make those communities self-reliant? So our, our strategy really talks to that. And the last part of that is, um, is a long-term strategy around people. You know, mm. a, a people strategy that says, you know, the, the workforce of the future is going to be different. You know, how do we respond to that? You know, the pool is shrinking. Mm. How do we make ourselves an organization uh, or an employer that appeals and attract that talent? You
1: know, it's that kind of work that um, uh, we, are, we are busy. Because the perception we'll from grow. this side, sorry, Andy, is very much that uh, Anglo-American has shrunk. Yeah. So why would I want to go work for them? Yeah. But then, if you come with a progressive yeah. um, approach, I mean, you yeah. mentioned things like healthy environment, which yeah. one expects in mining is a yeah. big thing, thriving communities. That's yeah. what you're explaining here, which yeah. which I love. But the question yeah. is, how do you ensure that that intensity remains there for those 20, 30 years yeah. and that it becomes a thriving community, yeah. even when you leave? Mm. And trusted corporate leader. Of course, yeah. wherever the word leader is mentioned, it, yeah. you know, we sit up straight, yeah. we perk up. So, so those things, and then you put some interesting goals next to it, very yeah. specific goals about the schools in our communities yeah. must be in the top 20% yeah. in the country or something. Sure. I mean, sure. some real um, tangible, yeah. what, what were some of the others that stood out for me? I mean, the school one stood out for me. There were two mm. or three others, mm. which says, okay, we've got to, we've got to mobilize our workforce, yeah. and they've got yeah. to see this vision, and we've yeah. got to communicate it all the time, yeah. day in
3: and day out. Um, yeah. but, but, I mean, on the point about Anglo-American shrinking, I mean um, – Look, I think you've got to look at that into context. I mean, uh, if you look at 20 or 30 years ago, uh, Anglo-American used to occupy 60 or 70 percent of the Johannesburg Stock Exchange. And um, for other people, Anglo-American was South Africa. You know, um, um, that Anglo-American will never come back. You know, um, but it does not mean that um, we are shrinking to a point where South Africa is not important to anglo American It remains very important and uh, but we have streamlined our operation in such a way that we are better focused on certain commodities, and two is that we' focused on high quality resources you know but where we can mine them very well and we can create. Um, longer and enduring societal impact in those areas, and hence the focus that I'm talking about. And and two, uh, we have indeed thought long and hard about what it is that would make a difference in the lives of communities uh, for the long term. And uh, education, you know, uh, sit at the top, you know, of the pile in that regard. The other point I want to make is that. When we come to developing these uh, community strategies I want to go back to that principle of co-creation you know this is something that we will do uh, alongside communities and uh, it's about defining the end state you know what it is what is our vision what it is that we would like to become you know we don't want to impose that you know we would like to work alongside our communities to secure a buy-in and support and uh, and again going back to that example of the construction site mm. you know we would like to be able to say uh, what is the uh, picture on this board in relation to that community mm. so that even if some of those things we don't do them ourselves you know we partner with our suppliers or even with third parties but the vision is well articulated about what it is that we would like to become. You know,
1: I'd see it more as you know, shrinking was a very negative way of putting it. Sort of a, It's, it's aligning yourselves, uh, preparing yourselves for what lies ahead and to yeah. be much more agile and, yeah. and, and stronger, to, yeah. to, to be more effective. I've mm. got a great deal of respect for Marco Tafani, who mm. I've interviewed met more than once, I think. Mm. Um, so I think it's, it's about doing bold things, yeah. not being trapped in yeah. In the perception of who we should be yeah. and what the world expects us to yeah, be, yeah. it's about what we must be yeah. in order to be more effective. I, I, um, let's just let's just move on from because you're a huge corporate citizen. The brand yeah. is magnificent. Mm-hmm. So if we take the last few minutes, mm. time passes too fast yes. in these conversations. Yeah, and and just talk broader. Yeah, you're not just you know executive head of Anglo-American yeah. South Africa. Yeah. You're involved at BLSA yeah. and no doubt other forums and, yeah. and, and platforms. Yeah. What are the challenges we're facing as a country? And, and with that, I want to package the, the question, what conversations are we not having as a yeah. nation yeah. that we should be having? Yeah. Or are we so democratic and open and transparent, we're having all those conversations, darn yeah. it. In fact, we're having too many conversations. Some of them don't matter so much. But your, just your views on the broader picture at the moment, Andile. Let me start with um, an initiative that
3: I think is, um, is a subject of uh, an interview on its own, um, which is some work that we've been busy with um, as Anglo-American together with uh, other partners, including BLSA, and it's about the scenarios for South Africa for the year 2030.
1: To say. In line with the, the development plan, national development plan. It's actually plan,
3: quite huh? coincidental, you know. Hmm. But the question that we've been busy with, it's a project that we've been busy with for over a year, to say what would a socially cohesive South Africa uh, look like? And to what extent is it attainable, you know, by 2030? And um, this is linked to some of the work that our forebears like Clem Santam and Michael Spicer have done in the past to start reimagining, you know, the kind of future that we want and making sure that we do it in a manner, you know, that is quite uh, inclusive. You know, Um, so so we want to believe that that kind of work uh, would answer your question because our view from where we sit is that, everybody's focused on their own part, you know. It's like looking at the world from one window. So if you're looking at this side of the window, you have a different view of the world than someone who is looking on the other side of the window. So so I think that's the conversation that we are not having. You know, nobody has a 360-degree view of what it is that, is that is possible, you know. And two um i believe that we have not elevated the conversation to a level that says what are the trade offs that we need to make as business as government as labor and as society to achieve a particular desired end goal mm. you know i like to believe that you know if you look at all the countries that have been able to lift themselves out of the crisis Whether it's Australia or whatever, at some point in in the, in the, when they had a very deep crisis, they got together. Malaysia is a classic case in case, in point. They got together and say, look, that's what we want, that's what we do not want, but
1: it's going to take us making the following trade-offs to achieve that. So that's, uh, that answers a few questions that I, that I obviously wanted to ask you today, the role Anglo-American plays with these challenges. Mm. the conversations we need to be holding, uh, having, and, and, and you're saying that's the lead you're taking with some partners. Yeah. Do we have a president now of the country that can enable this momentum and project that you're embarking on? It, it feels like we do.
3: We do. In fact, I mean, he has been briefed on this project
1: as well. Mm. I mean, he's
3: very supportive of it. It's on his radar screen. Yeah, yeah, he's very supportive of it. And, uh, and, and if I can be more specific, for example, about the mining industry – um, we've also been fortunate in that you know, we also have a counterpart, you know, on the other side, you know, that we can have um, constructive conversations about how to grow the mining industry, how to make it competitive again. We don't have to agree on everything, you know, but a space has been created, you know, where we can put all these matters uh, on the table. So I lot to believe... We are in a better space, you know, um, than we've ever been in a long time. That is not to suggest that things are going to be easy, but uh, I think there's willingness, you know, from all sides to be able to um, take the country forward. And last point for me is to say that um, that does not mean that everybody is going to agree. You know, um, I think in the days of the... um, the, um, the political negotiations they came up with this term of uh, sufficient consensus where sometimes you've got to agree with a cohort of people yeah, so that you can take certain things forward. So we have to, to look at it that way. But uh, absolutely, we're in a much better space. And
1: old man, I want to bring in, you in know, here. You've silently been listening. And Andeli, let's have the last three minutes on this. Yeah. We we, we do come with great plans in the country. Yeah. Uh, some of the plans that you, you have as an organization mm. internally, mm. Uh, you know, um, linking up to communities, your sustainability strategy. Mm. And and so I can go on and on. All these mm. things are only good on paper and mm. in conversations mm. and in boardrooms. Mm. That, that's where they stay if you don't have good leadership. Because mm. leaders create movement. Yeah. Leaders make it happen. Leaders yeah. bring that life, yeah. breathe that life into a mm. concept, a vision. Mm. It, it takes leadership to ultimately take that picture mm-hmm. of that building Yeah and then to make it happen up to detail yeah. so that one day you take that picture off yeah. and there it is, we actually achieved yeah. it folks with yeah. a few changes in between, no yeah. doubt as you build it, mm-hmm. in general it looks the same as the picture mm-hmm. But so how do we multiply more leaders and mm. leadership in our country we're mm. doing our little bit mm. and there's a bigger vision we'd like to share with you, you know, mm. off this platform Yeah. how do we multiply leaders at greater speed so that we don't just come up with great national development plans yeah. and great strategies, yeah. but it actually doesn't translate into that final building.
3: Aden, yeah. I've got two, two, two answers for you. One is that I, this is my personal view that every crisis brings a leader. They you pop know, out of the woodwork um, throughout history. You know, uh, Mahatma Gandhi came out of a crisis that was there uh, in India. Uh, Nelson Mandela came out of a crisis that South Africa faced, and I think that this crisis in South Africa as well that we've had, you know, uh, brought us uh, Cyril Ramaphosa. So without fail, you know, that uh, the gift of a crisis is that it always gives you a leader. So um, and I think it's something that we should. Never underestimate that leaders, great leaders, are all born out of a crisis, whatever crisis is of the time. My second view is that um, we, our biggest problem, where we are missing the most, is at the level of execution. You know, we've got top leadership. It's really at the level of execution of policy. And that's where there is a space to bring in uh, retired executives or people from the corporate sector to help government, you know, and deal with this layer of implementation of policy, you know, and that to me is a scope for collaboration, yeah. you know, because in the last couple of years, government has been hemorrhaging in terms of the loss and a drain of that skill set, and that to me is the gap. You know, that exists. Okay. yeah. And they don't have, even though those that are in government do not understand business, you know, they, um, they, they are new. There is a need for a lot of hand-holding. And there are retired executives that need to think about what is their own role, you know, in helping this country at this time.
2: We're so passionate about the BLSA yeah. her partnership. Is uh, things we discussed, but also it's exactly the last point, because yeah. what say represents is developed leaders, yeah. which government well, part of Dundee, should she understand. Hmm. So we'd like to close that gap if yeah. we can.
3: Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I think we, we just need to um, send out a, a call, I mean, a clarion call, and work with government. I mean, if you're retired, you are in now or whatever, how can you partake and plugged in, they don't have to travel to other parts of the, of the country. If you retired, you are in KZN, how can you support municipalities in your, in your area? We need to, to tap into that. I mean, there are parastatals there. They need a lot of support. Uh, we just need to, to, to take it upon ourselves today. More than ever before, our country needs us. You know, it's incumbent upon us who are, who are leading at this time to take it upon ourselves to be in the right side of history.
1: And I think that could be your final message. Or right. do you have 20 seconds for leaders out there, uplifting message with that, maybe? I think for me, the, um, the one issue is that um,
3: we need to articulate a common vision. You know, that to me is just one thing that is worth spending time on that, you know, so that we make sure that... Wherever you are, where, whether you are in Guiani or in Cape Town, you're KZN. You are clear about what it is
1: that we want as a nation. Andile Sankos, thank you so much, head of Anglo American, uh, executive head of Anglo American South Africa, and board member of BLSA. Uh, we appreciate the fact that you've taken some time to talk leadership with us and issues yeah. in the country. Yeah. and uh, we wish you well. You, you, you're busy with some big stuff there. Uh, thank you. I mean. Sometimes we take on too much, yeah. but uh, we appreciate that and, and look forward to sharing this message with leaders out there. Thank you for joining us on the Leadership Masterclass. Uh, we look forward to being with you again next week. Cheers, everyone. Thanks very much.
0: This is